Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I want to say thank you, I always revert to the traditional. A letter on some bespoke paper or a beautiful card. As more of us communicate by email and text, the written word is becoming more special. Today's sponsor is all about this. Beautiful paper things are very much Papier's thing. Papier are the go-to website for stationery, invitations, cards and photo books, all ready to be personalised by you and expertly printed by their team in England on lovely high-quality paper. With Father's Day coming up, I've been on Papier with the children, creating a gorgeous card for Ben. Always chic, Papier has the perfect range of cards for new dads, granddads, stepdads or puppers-to-be. And for every card sold, they donate 30p to the mental health charity Calm. If you wanted something bigger, take a look at their photo books. They're the perfect gift to gather all the good times in one place for him. The best news is that the Parenthood listeners can get 15% off their first order. So whether you simply need to hit refresh on your desk, are planning a party or a wedding for that matter, or just need a good stash of cards, Papier is the place to go. For me, why Papier is so unique is their collection of designs that is created in collaboration with talented artists like Luke Edward Hall and Fee Greening, as well as fashion designers such as Mother of Pearl and House of Holland, and iconic brands such as Disney and Moomin. So head to papier.com to see their full collection and don't forget to use the code THEPARENTHOOD, capital letters, all one word, to get 15% off your first order. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Sleep or lack thereof is something we spend a lot of time talking about on The Bump Class. That thing you spent all your life taking for granted is now something that you are in dire need of. And when we become parents, sleep often dominates our lives. Our lives are easier if our children get plenty of it and they're less cranky and happier if the same goes for us. But apart from knowing that it is crucial, sleep is something I, for one, know remarkably little about. So I thought it'd be good to get a couple of experts to help me understand why we sleep and how we can encourage both ourselves and our children to sleep better. So with me today, I have my co-founder and sister, Dr. Kiara Hunt. Welcome, Kiara. And also Bahi van der Boer, a paediatric dietitian at Great Ormond Street Private Patients Hospital and a mother of two. Welcome, Bahi. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. So, I mean, sleep, I know it's something that dominates the conversations of quite a lot of parents, but I think it'd be really good just to understand a little bit more about sleep, which is why it's very useful. I've got you here, Kiara. Um, why is sleep so important? Well, I think you know, some people think that sleep 
is just when the mind and body shut down and rest. But actually, it's not at all. It is an active period in which a lot of important processing, restoration, strengthening occurs. And exactly how this happens, we don't really understand. And we don't really understand why we need so much of it. But the main sort of thinking behind it is that sleep consolidates the memories that we've made that day and transfers it from short-term memory to long-term memory. So it's basically filing. It's like sorting out, you know, our clothes, like out with the, the stuff that you don't wear, don't need, and the keeping the sort of those good investment pieces that you really do need to wear again and again. <laughs> yeah, you could say, or you could say sort of just like a computer, rather than just all being on your desktop, it's being filed away into neat folders so that it can be easily accessed uh, <laughs> when you need it. And, and, and it's not just filing. It's also very, there are also various hormones that are produced in sleep. Growth hormone is produced, which helps um, restore our body's muscles and from the stresses of the day and it also has a function in immune in our immune system we think that you know having a decent amount of sleep does boost our immune system so there are there are lots of important uh, important uh, things that sleep does for us and I mean, it's also probably worth understanding a little bit about the sleep cycle and what that is because it's not just like you go to sleep you're asleep and then you wake up again. There's quite a lot happening when, you, when yeah, your eyes absolutely. are shut. And there are four main stages in the sleep cycles. Um, and they're sort of divided roughly into uh, non-rapid eye movement, NREM, and rapid eye move, movement sleep. And the, the, the three stage, there are three stages within the non-rapid eye movement sleep um, that incorporate our deep sleep which is when we are really really resting and the body is processing everything and the, and uh, and filing it away and then the last bit of it the REM sleep uh, is the dreaming stage of sleep um, so what's quite interesting is that actually each of those stages in the cycle only lasts about 10 to 15 minutes um, so each sleep cycle going through all those stages is about 60 to 90 minutes sometimes then as the sleep goes on, it can go on to 100, 120 minutes, um, which means that we have four or five sleep cycles a night um, and, and all those different processing is happening at those different cycles. Is there a time in your sleep where you're more likely to be woken up? Because I remember when my children were little, if I went in at sort of 40 minutes after they'd sleep, they were much more likely to wake up than if I went in an hour and 20 minutes later. Is was that just my children, or is that no? I think um, I, mean, I don't know if you agree by it, but but the, the the worst time to wake to be woken up is during a deep sleep stage, which is the last stage of the non REM sleep, and that's when things like sleep working, walking occurs. That's when often bedwetting occurs, and that's when mm. when children or people are woken up. They often feel quite disorientated, quite out of it, quite grumpy if they're children. Um, so that's the worst stage, and probably the best stage is is, is stage one or two of the of the um, uh, non REM sleep, the beginning of that sleep cycle. So ideally, our alarm clocks go off when we're in the in the light stage of sleep. Yeah, in an ideal world, and that's what a lot of these sleep apps try and do, um, although they're not perfect. But yes, that's that would be ideal. <laughs> Um, and Bahi, how much sleep do you think we should be getting? Um, let's start with sort of adults, for a normal sort of adult, so what, that's sort of 18 and above. What, what's, what's a healthy amount of sleep? Well, the Sleep Foundation suggests that we need around seven to nine hours, and everybody is different. Some people may function really well on six hours, and certainly the Sleep Foundation suggests that a third of us only getting around six hours a night. Mm. Whereas, um, you know, as long as you are regularly f sleeping, 
around seven to nine hours a night and you wake up feeling well rested then that suggests that you've had enough sleep I think that's the point isn't it we are all different but the point is are you feeling well on the amount of sleep you're getting and I would say it's a general rule if you're waking up tired and kind of wishing you could have a nap throughout the day you're not getting enough sleep and if you're if you're feeling fine on six or seven hours then you probably are getting enough sleep And what about our children? Because children obviously need a lot more sleep than adults. Mm -hmm. Why is that? It's because their brains are still developing and growing. So they just need that extra time to help them um, repair. Both physically and mentally, Mm. they are processing so much more during their waking period that they need more time during the sleep to, to consolidate all of that that their body has learned and their mind has learned. Yeah, because this is a question my children always ask me as I'm putting them to bed at 7.30 and they're like, but you're not going to bed, right? <laughs> and I'm oh, brilliant, I can tell them that. <laughs> so, um, Vahi, um, uh, babies obviously need a lot more than, than children, but sort of broadly speaking, if your child is sort of preschool, not preschool, primary school age, um, what is a sort of healthy amount of sleep for them to be getting every night? So between 10 and 12 hours. Mm. So still quite a lot. And sometimes when I've spoken about that with children, when they've come to clinic, they've been really surprised. And they said, but I'm not sure that I can get to bed that early. How am I going to fit it in? And I've said, well, what are you doing in that time? So they might be playing video games or on social media or just doing other activities. So it's getting a nice timetable and routine for bed and not neglecting that because it's just so important that children do get enough sleep so that they work working well at school, concentrating and have enough energy to get on with lots of activities, sport, you know, all the things that they find really important to get on with in the day. And I think, you know, there is there is such a discrepancy between, you know, children as they grow up. Because little babies, you know, they're sleeping 15, 16, 17 hours in a 24-hour period. But I think as a general rule, toddlers are still should be having at least uh, 12 hours a night. Well, they should be having 12 hours a night and asleep in the day. Um, the, the guidelines say that if you're sort of between 3 and 6, it should be 10 to 12 hours. And then 7 to 12-year-olds it's 10 to 11 hours. And then teenagers, once you get to the teenage years, they, they do need more than adults. They yes. do need nine, nine hours probably a night. Mm. Um, and they're often not getting that. No, they're nocturnal hours by that time. Yeah. So they do need to be encouraged to get to bed early. I mean, I definitely can sort of recognize, you know, when my children are getting cranky and I can feel that they're tired. And I know my children say, oh, you always say that. Um, But what are the sort of symptoms of sleep deprivation? Because, you know, if someone, if you've got a teenager who's just not getting the right amount of sleep, what what are the, what's the impact over a sort of longer period of time? So just tired, feeling really tired, not able to concentrate and being forgetful. So if sleep helps us pack away our memories, then that a very you know typical sign that someone's being very forgetful and I guess long term it may affect how well they do at school and it can also affect your behavior so you're more likely to be perhaps a little bit aggressive or um, even more likely to be depressed so quite a downward trend in your mood if you don't get enough sleep. I was was reading up a bit bit about sleep before this and and Mm -hmm. I'd seen a recent survey that said that 25% of teachers had said that they allow children to go to sleep in the corner of the classroom during the day because they're that tired and they're obviously that tired in their class. 
That's I mean, lot. ideally, school starts a little bit uh, uh, later yeah. for our teenagers so that they can catch up on sleep well, a little they've, bit. They've done quite a lot of research into mm. that. Um, and some countries have, have trialed it where they don't start school till 1030 and that's had a very positive impact, so we might might struggle getting getting everyone to do that. But and you said earlier that um, sleep promotes it boosts our immune system. So presumably, not getting enough sleep means that you're more susceptible to sort of coughs and colds. Is that is that true? Yeah, there's not a huge amount of research on that, as far as I as far as I know. But yes, we do know that sleep um, that sleep does play an important role in our immune system. And I think it's it's chronic sleep deprivation. It's yes. not just, you know, not sleeping one night or jet lag or a period of a few months where mm-hmm. sleep might not be as good. It's it's, it's over a longer period of time, sleep yes. deprivation. And, you know, we know that longer, uh, longer periods of sleep deprivation in adults, you know, can cause quite serious medical conditions like obesity and diabetes and high blood pressure, heart disease, like you said, depression. So it, it's important. And I suppose... Part of our responsibility as parents is trying to instill the importance of sleep into our children. And I mean, what I probably find hard is going to bed early enough because, you know, you you just get caught up, don't you, with stuff. And then suddenly you look at your watch and it's 11 o'clock and that's too late for me to go to bed. I need to be going to bed more like 10 on a, you know, on a weekday. And, um, you know, that that sort of we'll talk about it now, but that that sort of sleep hygiene, that sort of understanding that you do have to be in bed at a decent amount of time and actually my son now wakes up at six um he goes to bed early but he wakes up at six and actually that's so nice he's got that extra time in the morning to get his homework done to have breakfast leisurely to take a you know 20 minutes to put his socks on um (laughs) if that's what he wants and and I think that that is actually makes those mornings really nice so almost better that they're going to bed slightly early and they they'd sleep as long as they need to and then they've got if they you have some extra time have that in the morning yeah especially for older children Yes, and then you can prioritise it, anything that's really important to get done in the first thing of the day exactly. when you're feeling refreshed. Yeah. I think, um, I think it, it's, it's a bit of a minefield of parenting, isn't it? You put your child to bed and then you've got those precious few hours of being child-free before you go to bed and you want, you know, most parents want to have that adult time. But if your child's not going to bed till 8.39 and they're still a young child, that doesn't give you much time. Um, so I think you know, really trying to focus on that bedtime routine and getting the young children in bed by seven or eight is really important. Mm. And even just having sort of quiet time after seven, if your children aren't ready to actually go to sleep, you know that they're in bed and they're maybe reading for mm. that last half an hour, even an hour, or you listening know. to a talking book, or yeah, but not watching something quietly. ideally. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're obviously all on the same page about the amount of sleep we need to get, but what? can we do to enrich our sleep and to help us get to sleep? Because actually going to sleep sometimes isn't that easy. I'm sure it's linked to sort of overtiredness. And also, I mean, I definitely find I don't always sleep well and then I'll feel wretched even if I've been in bed for for Mm. 10 hours. Um, So is there anything we can do, Bahi, to make our sleep better? Um, I'm thinking since you're a dietitian, we might start with diet. Is there anything we can eat that, you know, anything mm-hmm. we can eat that promotes good sleep? Mm-hmm. So certainly protein foods and foods that are enriched with an amino acid called tryptophan is very useful um, in promoting sleep in children, but in also in adults because tryptophan is used to make a tri- neurotransmitter called serotonin, which has a role in Um, affecting mood and then further down in the day it then goes on to make a sleepy hormone called melatonin Mm. 
So um, rather than taking melatonin as a supplement, it's actually really important to make sure that children's diets are enriched with the protein-rich foods. The research around this is still emerging, but what I'd suggest is that if you know, you're trying to work on your child's diet, try and make sure that your child is having enough protein-rich foods, both at breakfast, lunch, dinner, but also in their snacks. So make sure they are eating a well-balanced diet and getting a good source of protein-rich foods throughout the day. So tryptophan foods could be things like oats, it could be just whole wheat, breads, nuts, chicken, turkey, eggs, dairy. So even when people talk about um, is a glass of milk beneficial in helping children go to sleep? Well, maybe it isn't directly linked to getting them to sleep, but it's just that act of having that nice warm glass of milk that sort of ties in with the routine that sort of prepares the child mentally to get to bed. Does milk have tryptophan in it? It does. It does have tryptophan in it. So, you know, it may play a role in helping boost the um, levels of melatonin overnight. Why not? And I suppose it's getting a balance also between eat, not eating too late and eating sleepy inducing foods so is there a, is there a, what's the advice on that especially with children so it can be difficult especially if you're trying to get children in bed by seven so try and have at least an hour um, apart an hour break from eating to going to bed so by the time you get their teeth brushed and bedtime um, bath and then of course make sure they also go to the toilet before going to bed so that you know there's no problems with bed wetting and things like that um, then that'll and a, help and a sort of snack before bed if they've eaten an earlier tea at five or five thirty is that okay or does that make sleeping worse I think it depends on your child so if your child eats really well at meals then they may not need a snack but if they're kind of someone who likes to graze throughout the day and you know does need snacks then absolutely Absolutely. There's no reason why you couldn't offer a bedtime snack. snack. Yeah. Just make sure that it is still light. It could be something, again, like a whole grain toast with a nut butter or a bit of banana or a you know, glass of milk can count as their bedtime snacks. That would be perfect. Yeah. It's interesting that you said, you know, in order to sleep well, you need to make sure that you've got these, these high protein foods all in breakfast, lunch and dinner. I would have thought, you know, make the dinner all about the sort of sleepy foods. But is it important for them to eat these protein rich foods throughout the day? Yes, and earlier. And certainly, there's some research to show that children who eat uh, protein foods at breakfast are more likely to feel satisfied and it also has a role in you know just maintaining their weight as well so it's good to have that earlier because then there's time for the body to make the serotonin which then helps with their mood and concentration and then of course as um, daylight sort of um, goes away um, the body then can has the chance to make melatonin for sleep. And what about in the summer when the daylight doesn't go away? Tricky, isn't it? (laughs) So I've invested in those black curtains type things. I think it is important because it can trigger, um, you know, my daughter, my toddler says to me, oh, but mummy, it's still bright outside. I was like, no, it's time to go to bed. So those curtains can really help because I think just seeing a bit of darkness can help um, trigger the mind to think, yes, it's time for bed. What do you think? Yeah, I think also... um 
there is a link between the darkness and the melatonin. I mean, mm. melatonin that's produced is is stimulated by darkness. So if you look at the natural cycles of, of animals, uh, the nocturnal animals will still have melatonin produced at night, but it won't trigger sleep, uh, which is really interesting. So it's more of an, an, it is, it's an association between darkness and for humans, darkness equals sleep time. Um, so yeah yes even if I suppose if you don't have the blackout curtains just you know turning the lights off dimming them it's in that sort of you know half an hour before bed if you're reading them a story don't have all the lights on in the room Mm. have a little bedside light on shut the curtains shut the shutters whatever it is and just make you know that idea that in that half an hour before bed you're kind of encouraging that melatonin production Mm. uh, rather than thinking Mm. oh well let's watch the sunset and have the sunlight streaming into the room which does seem really appealing when we get the sun so little in this country but probably in terms of sleep it is a good thing to have slightly darker rooms yes and before i forget it you can also if you measure the levels of tryptophan in breast milk for example we know that it does peak overnight so you do you can't tell that there is some association between tryptophan rich foods and um, sleep so it is a good idea to think about uh, you know how and how you place protein rich foods in your child's diet you don't need to get bogged down about all the different types of foods that are rich in tryptophan but as long as you are offering the high quality protein foods throughout the day chances are your child will be getting enough to play but that on its own of course is not going to suddenly make them sleep it's exactly. got to be in, com- in combination with all the other good sleep hygiene mm-hmm. habits that we that we know are important for well, adults as well as children before we get off food i'm just wondering is there anything that we should be avoiding that mm-hmm. is um counteractive to good sleep so caffeine definitely particularly for teenagers and older children chocolate is another source of caffeine so that's people tend to forget that and also the sport drinks that seem really healthy can have caffeine added to that so that's really important to check those things and as well green tea that's that's got caffeine in hasn't it so it does have caffeine sort of in see it as a sort of health drink but it does actually have caffeine. Mm. and coca hot chocolate because presumably there's caffeine in the chocolate of hot chocolate there but then is a little bit. I mean, you're probably only using a teaspoon yeah. at the most, so that probably doesn't hurt. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Caffeine consumption is that better just not to have it at all? You know, if your teenager likes a cup of tea in the morning, is that okay? Or would you say there would be a sort of cutoff point during the day that if you want to have them to good sleep, um, that you should say absolutely no caffeine after this, this point of the day? 
Probably not very scientific, but I certainly stopped drinking coffee after 12 o'clock. <laughs> so definitely try and offer the caffeine-rich foods earlier in the day. But you probably don't want children to be drinking things like strong teas anyway, because the tannins present in teas can inhibit the absorption of iron. And so that's really important, because particularly if children, if you're worried about, is your child getting enough um, iron or is the child getting enough sleep um, because they seem really, really tired. It may be that maybe that it's not just about sleep, but it's also about their iron levels. It's mm-hmm. a good idea to check that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what about herbal teas in terms of promoting sleep? I mean, I was led to believe that chamomile tea was good. Is there any evidence in that or is it just a nice sort of thing to drink before you go to sleep? Down to personal preference. If it helps you relax, then why not go for it? As for the evidence around it, I'm not entirely sure that there is any evidence suggesting that it directly promotes sleep. But I think it's down to individual preference. If that helps you relax and it again trains your mind into thinking, yes, I'm ready to sleep. This is part of my sleep routine. Then go for it. The other thing to think about in terms of diet is actually your prebiotics. So there's a lot of research going on at the moment about the gut and how that relates um, to your brain. So if you eat and certainly encourage children to eat foods that are rich in fiber and particularly prebiotics, which is the type of fibers that aren't digested so well. But what they do when you eat them is they actually help feed the healthy bacteria in your brain. And there's some sort of loose links or chatter and conversation about the fact that it's the short chain fatty acids that are produced as a result of the Uh, prebiotic foods being digested in your gut, if you like, that may um, help promote sleep as well. So that's things like... What's some examples of prebiotic foods? So it's actually basic foods like banana, garlic, apples, and then, of course, things like asparagus and artichokes. I mean, sauerkraut and kimchi. Children probably aren't going to eat that, but I wouldn't get so worried about that. Again, it's just going down to very basic and simple foods. Oats, for example, brilliant food to start the day with because it's got both tryptophan and the prebiotics yeah. so win-win yeah um there are obviously as, as you mentioned Kiara, um other things that you know specifically impact sleep uh, routine probably being one of them I, mean, I definitely find that i sleep better if i go to bed at sort of the same night the time the same time every night is there is there any research behind this that that having a kind of sleep routine is, is yeah good i mean sleep? there's lots of research um that that, that that is probably the most important thing to be doing if uh, if you're struggling with sleep or in order to get a good night's sleep and and that's because the way we work with our circadian rhythm isn't that we can bank up loads of sleep and then function really well on three or four hours it's it's the body anticipating what's coming next and knowing that it's going to be enough sleep to be restorative for us so with adults and with children having a routine uh, with bedtime is probably the most important thing you can do and that has to be the same every day so so you know being very different at weekends is just going to throw your child out of kilter and um, yes it can be an hour or an hour and a half later and you know that's fine they'll probably still wake up at the same time um but but having really late nights at weekends is not good for your child's sleep Mm. and lions too because I find that if I've you know slept Mm. until 10 then I'm definitely not sleepy the next day at 10 so then I'll toss Mm. and turn till midnight and then when I have to wake up at six the next day I'm exhausted but I think that will lions will very much depend on how good your sleep pattern is in the week so a lot of people are functioning on perhaps slightly less sleep than they need in the week and then do catch up 
uh, during the uh, during the weekend period. But if you're having a good amount of sleep, then sort of forcing yourself to have a lying just because it's the weekend is not going to do you any favours. No, and I read about the fact that if you try to have a, a nap, try and limit it to 30 minutes any Absolutely. longer or close, too close to your bedtime Absolutely. can disrupt your sleep as well. Well, and that's because, as I talked about earlier, you've got those three phases of non-rapid eye movement sleep mm-hmm. before you go into your rapid eye movement sleep, of, which is the dreamy phase. Um, and you don't want to, if you're having a nap, you don't want to get into the deep sleep phase, which is phase three. So imagine there's four phases in total, including the dream phase. Phase three is the um, is the uh, deep sleep. And if you get into the deep sleep, you're going to s- sleep much less well at night. So ideally, a power nap of 30 minutes and no more is what you should have. How important is physical activity in terms of sleeping well? Really important. So lots of people forget that toddlers need around 180 minutes of activity a day and that doesn't have to be you know like gym classes or anything like that it's just running around in the park rollerblading cycling that sort of thing so it's really important that they are tired by the time and really ready to get to bed Mm -hmm. and the same for older children at least an hour of moderate activity so it could be walking to school or again going into and playing in the playground or participating in sports teams at school anything that keeps your body moving so that you are ready to yeah. sleep yeah and um, so biologically the, the exercises causes your body temperature to increase and there's a bit of research that shows that you're the the post-exercise drop in body temperature triggers sleep so having that that uh, period in your day where you are exercising and actually even as adults exercising in the afternoon or early evening can help sleep Really, really it doesn't kind of, you know, increase your adrenaline levels. So so for most people, no. I mean, we're not talking in the hour before sleep, but, you know, if you have two hours between stopping exercise and going to sleep, then that's uh, absolutely fine and can actually promote uh, a good sleep pattern. So ideally in the summers, we're hitting it now, getting your children out after school, getting them a little run in the park while the sun is out and the light is Even high. Even in the winter, getting them outside the fresh air will without doubt uh, help them sleep. It's anecdotal, but of all the children I look after in the surgery or the parents always say they sleep so much better if they've just had fresh air. Mm. Um, so um, that's important too. We talked about environment and sort of trying to control the light. How important is room temperature in terms of sleeping? Because as far as I understand, rooms should actually be cooler than we might anticipate. So not too hot and certainly, um, but not too cold either. So um, they say around 18 to 20 degrees. And that's much cooler than we imagine. Mm. I mean, all our houses, certainly in the cities, um, even in London, where it's not a particularly hot country, our houses are heated and most rooms are you know, in the early 20s, um, but but um, without doubt, children sleep better in a cooler room. Um, so, so turning the Agreed. radiator off in their rooms, opening the window, um, trying to keep it cool. You can always put an extra blanket on their bed, but it's hard for them to cool down if they're too hot. And children are often sweaty at night when you go in and say goodnight to them. They'll often be sweaty. Does yeah. that always mean they're too hot or do they often go through that sort of sweaty stage? They do, they, but um, they go through it less if they're less hot. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yes, yeah, some children will still go through that sweaty stage of sleep with just a sheet on um but but very often in the same way as 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 adults if we're sweating at night yes it could be our hormones but more likely we're too hot you know we should take the duvet off I can't sleep if I'm too hot I have to have like the smallest duvet on it's like the worst thing I always have to have a duvet but then my youngest keeps kicking off her covers but 
I've stopped because it just wakes her up yeah. if I keep putting yeah. a cover on her. Well, and that's her telling you, you know, subconsciously that that's that she's she runs hot, so she doesn't need the same as you. And the same with my daughter; she's exactly the same. Whereas my son wants the full duvet. <laughs> so we are built differently. We're not pro, pro, robots programmed to function exactly the same. Yeah, annoyingly, my my children have my ch- my husband's temperature gauge, so I'm the one that's freezing in the house, and they're all five, but I'm totally outnumbered. Um, what if your child has trouble falling asleep? I know that can be a real problem and it's so frustrating lying in bed and very often your thoughts sort of go round and round. Is there anything we can sort of do to help the child that finds falling asleep, you know, easier? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because what it boils down to is what we've been saying all along and is really focusing rigidly, almost obsessively on that bedtime routine Um, and starting it early enough, making sure they're having that nice warm bath before bed, even in the summer months, making sure they've got at least an hour of downtime before before they're getting into bed and then allowing them time to to do whatever they do that keeps them calm and makes them feel sleepy in their bed. it's you know there's not there's nothing there's not a magic bullet that's going to say they are going to go to sleep at you know 8:30 but um but if you set the set the conditions for it to to make it as uh, as likely as possible that's that's what you can do yeah. and not obsessing so much of them falling asleep as soon as they're in bed we all take time to fall asleep if they if you get stressed about they're not asleep half an hour after they're supposed to be then they get stressed about it and those stress hormones don't help their sleepiness so if they're in bed and quiet leave them to get on with it and fall asleep when they can I think keeping a sleep journal might be um, useful as well. Not necessarily about the amount of hours they're getting, but more, uh, is there a pattern? Like, are there days when they sleep better? And is that because they're more active on that day? Or have they eaten well, you know, eaten their three meals and snacks that day? You know, so it's trying to find a pattern. And is it also, you know, maybe some days children have lots of activities planned after school. So if you're rushing and trying to get dinner on and then rushing them to bed, it's really important not to rush that last bit of time where you have some quiet time, like you mentioned, reading a story or even just talking, uh, talking about what happened that day, making sure that the child has an opportunity to share with you whatever's been going on or whatever's been troubling them. So they do go to sleep um, relaxed and carefree, if you like. Mm. I don't know, what do you think? That's important, actually, because... um you know, it may be that your child's actually very relaxed about sleeping. It takes them a bit of time, but they read a bit and then they fall asleep and you're more stressed about it than they are. But it could be that you have an, a bit of an anxious child who has got thoughts worrying around his or her mind, uh, worrying about the next school day, worrying about that, what they need to do, maybe exam pressures. So giving them little little things like a notebook by their bed that they can jot things down that they're worried about, uh, talking about their anxieties, giving them strategies to cope with them. You know, and actually that can that can start at quite a young age, but allowing them, allowing them those anxieties or those worries and helping treat them um, and giving them an outlet is I think can be really helpful for children even though I remember at one point a patient of mine was telling me about this little worry monster have you heard about the worry monster it's like a little um, cuddly toy with a mouth that zips open and the child can can write down anything they're worried about and 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 on a bit of paper and put it in the mouth of the worry monster and then they sleep on it and the idea oh, is that it. the worry monster eats up all their worries that night and then you know they they feel better about it and and she said her her daughter made all the difference because it was actually the putting the worry on the paper that was helping of course rather than the worry meat was actually eating them and how important is placebo you know we talked earlier about sort of cup of chamomile tea but if we give a cup of chamomile tea to our children obviously not too late so that they're going to wet the bed um but say this is going to help you sleep you know I, I do feel that very often if you if you really think something's going to help it, it does 
I agree. It's mindset. It is, and it's just helping what identifying whatever helps your child relate. This particular action or activity is now getting me prepared for sleep. And if it helps, then why not? I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the problems I know a lot of people have with small children are nightmares. You know, that they wake up in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. Kiara, at what point, why do nightmares happen? Do we know anything about nightmares? So um, nightmares and night terrors are two quite different things. Um, so most children, most people will have nightmares. Um, and that is, that is the dream that they're having in the rapid eye movement stage of their sleep cycle, which is right at the end of that 90 minute, 90 to 100 minute sleep cycle. Um, and if they wake up during that, si- that part of the cycle, then they'll often remember the dream they having and if it's been a scary dream it will be termed a nightmare Um, a night terror is different because that is um that is in the deep sleep phase of the non-REM sleep so it's that third stage of the sleep cycle um whether they won't remember it and they're it, it it's all in their subconscious and they're not traumatized by it it can be very traumatic for parents because they wake up screaming or they you know sit bolt upright in bed and and shout and sweat and have their hearts racing um uh, but that is that is that is not to, to do with the dreaming phase, so it's not related to what they're thinking about. And why do they have nightmares? Yes, it can be that they've seen something scary in a film. It could be that they've, um, you know, they've witnessed something in the playground or just in life um, that they're reliving. And you know, there's an argument that it's healthy because it is their their brain playing it out. Uh, in their minds but I guess you also have to be aware of you know maybe your child seeing things I mean I remember seeing Jaws when I was about eight or nine and I mean I was terrified for years after that and I remember you know trying to go to sleep and seeing sort of dark shadows in my bedroom in London I mean Jaws was not exactly going to be there (laughs) but in my my eight-year-old mind just couldn't compute that and I found like night and and sleeping very scary actually. Oh I completely agree Uh, for some reason at nursery my toddler was talking about dying Mm -hmm. and she had um or started being introduced to the idea of death and we had to have lots of discussions about it because we noticed that she was waking up in the night crying and so we really realized that we needed to spend some time beforehand before bed talking about anything that had happened in nursery to make sure that she really was at peace with whatever had happened so I really believe in talking, taking some time to do some reflective practice, as I call it. It all, it, you know, it just needs to be five or ten minutes before bed, just to find out what's gone on in your child's day, so that they have a chance to share with you anything that's troubling them. Because then that just helps. I think it can help with how well they sleep that night. Mm. I think that's absolutely fundamental for any child who's having lots of nightmares that they are distressed by, is, is allowing them that time period to to. to talk about whatever it is they that scares them even if it's silly even if it's a pink elephant coming to attack them in their bed at night you know it's just verbalizing it not belittling it uh, helping them find strategies to cope with those feelings and actually um if you have more than one child allowing that five ten minutes with each child on their own during the day which is really hard sometimes to do um but it's important that they have it without their siblings listening to them Agreed. I struggle to get both my girls in bed at the same time. And often my youngest gets neglected because of that. But she's the one who's most tired, luckily enough. So she goes straight. But then she's up a bit later on. And what about bedwetting? Because I know that can also really disrupt um, sleeping. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on bedwetting. um, why why, Why does it happen? 
There was, I mean, uh, you're not, you're right, we could literally have a whole podcast on bedwetting. It's something that I, I see a lot and try and deal with a lot in, in, in my surgery. Um, but bedwetting is quite normal up to a certain age. Um, but if it, if, if the child is completely dry and then starts wetting again, or if they're just going on wetting for a long period of time, then there could well be something that you're, that you're doing as, as parents that could change that's easy, like reducing fluids and towards the evenings. But it could also be that there is a medical problem or a psychological problem that needs addressing uh, and dealing with. Yeah, so the first stage is just looking at their fluid intake and maybe rethinking that large glass of hot hot chocolate yeah. before bed. I think actually one of the things also with regard to night terrors and bedwetting is that it is both of them are commonly associated with sleep deprivation. And that's because when we're chronically a bit deprived of sleep, we spend more time in our sleep cycles in that deep sleep phase, in that deep sleep non-REM phase, which is where we're really hard, it's really hard to wake up. Um, and during those deep sleep phases, it's much more likely to have a night terror or to bed or to wet the bed um so sometimes just putting them to bed earlier giving them more sleep will will that in itself will treat the the bedwetting or the night night terrors and i'm sure if you have a child who is aware that they are bedwetting and are quite upset about it that might also prevent them from wanting to sleep i'm sure that would have an impact on their sleep routines it's so important to address that as early as possible well and the reinforcement that um, if you wake up when you wet the bed at the time you're much less likely your body is much less likely to do it again but if you wet the bed in in your deep sleep you're not going to wake up so you just wake up in the morning with a wet bed and that's much harder to treat so just giving them that extra sleep um over time will, will, will help definitely so i mean there's a lot of chat around um sleeping and as a result i'm sure there are a lot of myths around sleeping so i thought um i'd just ask you both a few questions um and let me know whether or not they are true or false so can we have too much sleep is that possible I don't believe so. What do you think? <laughs> we're all mothers of small children, so we're all looking at each other going, no, definitely not. <laughs> I think unless you're, you're sleeping to the extent, you know, in one period where, you, where sleep then doesn't come in the next period, then, then no, because, you know, we, you, we will have periods in our life where we, where we catch up on sleep, where suddenly, you know, we have actually slept on midday. And, you know, that is because over time we've needed it, and that's the catch-up period. I think if you're regularly every night needing to sleep for that amount of time, you probably need to, to be... It's the sleep is not the problem, but the reason you're, what's the reason you're so tired? That could be a problem. Um, yeah. And again, if your child is, you know, you notice that they are really tired, just again think about anemia and um, maybe perhaps speak to your doctor about yeah, getting thyroid, their... all sorts of mm-hmm. things that could be causing that. Yeah, if they are, re- if they're really getting, they're getting their good twelve hours a night, um, <clears throat> but they're still tired, then th- there could be a medical reason for it. Okay. Um, what about with illness? Does sleeping cure illness? I mean, typically, when you're sick, you're in bed and you're encouraged to sleep as much as possible. Is there any truth in that? Or could you just get out of bed and motor on with well, it's work? All, it's all about listening to your body. Uh, when you're ill, you need more sleep. If you don't choose not to sleep when you're ill, then it's going to take you longer to recover from that illness because sleep is healing in the time that we are ill. You know, if you've got a serious illness, sleep is not going to cure it but it's going to help in your recovery. Whether that's a cold or whether that's chemotherapy, sleep is going to be helpful. Absolutely, agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, insomnia, something that does, I'm sure, is plagues a few of our listeners uh, now. Is that something that's hereditary? It's an interesting one. I mean, we're, we're, we're only beginning to understand the genes around sleep. Um, 
and we still don't understand it very well at all. But um, there is some evidence that there are insomnia genes and that that it can run, run in families. Um, in the same way that there are probably genes that, um, that program how much sleep we need as a person uh, and those people who can survive on six hours quite happily and the others who need 10, um, it, it could be determined by our, by our genetics. And that's something that re- research is going on at the moment. But again, uh, the same principles apply. If you know that your child or you suffer from sleep problems, it's probably just going down to basics and reviewing your sleep routine yeah. and your diet and exercise levels yeah. and things like that. I'm sure it well, will and help. Also, you know, if, if the parent is living a slightly chaotic lifestyle without a good sleep hygiene um, in it, then it's more likely that their child is going to inherit that type of lifestyle or, or be subjected to it as a young child. Or diet. You know. Or diet, yes. Yeah. So there's probably, as all these things, it's multifactorial. Um, the amount, you know, you, you sort of mentioned that some people need less sleep than others. I rem- Doesn't Donald Trump say he needs like four hours a night? <laughs> Is that true? Is that or is I had that... to Google that. Who knows what's true in that department? But um... apparently, only gets four hours of sleep and functions amazing. That explains a lot. Well, they did, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher um, said the same that she 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 barely slept. Um, I mean, is that if your child is going, "Mummy, I'm like Donald Trump. All I need is four hours a night." That's that's. Uh... I think you know. I think it's as we said before. If you are functioning on four hours a night, you're never feeling tired. You go to sleep fine. You never want to sleep in the day. You don't have any power naps and don't need any power naps. Then maybe that's the way you're genetically programmed. But um, there is actually evidence that those people who need less sleep, of which there probably are a genetic component, uh, are more likely to get Alzheimer's dementia um, when they get older. And diseases of the heart and yeah. diabetes that we've spoken about yeah. earlier. I do wonder if he does schedule in 30-minute naps, naps throughout yeah. the day. Because a four-hour sleep will give you a good three cycles, sleep cycles. And then if you have a new, another two sleep cycles during the day with a with a you know either a 30-minute power nap or a 90-minute full sleep cycle, then um, then that could be quite quite doable. What about these sleep apps? Do you think they're any good? Um. I think they're definitely not the be-all and end-all. They're not going to suddenly make you sleep. What they, what they will probably do is help you understand your sleep a bit better and help you document it and help you get into a routine because they will, you'll see it there in black and white or on the screen, you're, the tracking of how much sleep you're getting and how, how restless that sleep is. And if you're subconsciously actually getting up to pee twice a night but didn't really, you know, is it half asleep? You know, all those things will become apparent. And the other thing that they can be useful in doing is... Um, is waking you so setting your alarm to go off when you're in uh, your your lighter sleep so it's less uh, difficult to wake up now that's based basically on your movements and your sleep cycles aren't all reflected on your movements and everyone's different so it's not going to be perfect but um, I suppose bottom line is they could be helpful like if you sleep well I think what's the point but if you're having trouble you might want to try them Maybe if you're a really busy parent and you haven't even realised that you don't get enough sleep, maybe mm. an app like that could help you just highlight that mm. for you. That might be I, useful that yeah. way. I would also, I don't know, I, I would have some concerns about, I think you have to sleep with it under your pillow, which, I mean, I know there's not that much data yet on, on the sort of proximity of, of, your, of your phone to your head in the night, but it somehow makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Yes. Mm. Um... Uh, so one thing that I hear repeatedly, eating cheese gives you nightmares. Is this true, Vahi? Well, cheese is actually a source of tryptophan, so that doesn't sound right to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> so so tryptophan is what you were saying actually Absolutely. helps. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So have your cheese by all means. Um, no need to avoid it. Good source of protein for the, and calcium for children. I think, I think it may be linked to historically, if you're having a big sort of supper or banquety supper, you'll often have your starter main course pudding and then cheese at the end. And it's more the fact that you've eat, overeaten late in the night that will cause you to have a restless night. And possibly had quite a lot of alcohol too. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. And alcohol, although it makes us feel tired, isn't great for sleep, is it? Absolutely. So that could be an overstimulant, isn't it? So it could delay you getting in, um, getting enough sleep. So and also often have more of a restless sleep. Um, yeah. Um, what about yawning? Does yawning always mean you're tired, or do you sometimes yawn for another reason? Generally, the physiology of yawning is that it is when you're tired and you're trying to keep awake. So the, the yawn is actually a big intake of oxygen. So the oxygen then goes, flows to your brain and, and allows you to be more alert. Um, so generally speaking, yawning does go hand in hand with tiredness or, uh, or, or, or if you're bored. Um, but um, but uh, and, and, and that's, a, that's yawning that is involuntary. I mean, obviously, voluntary yawning might have lots of different reasons. Um, but involuntary yawning usually does imply you're tired. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Um, And then my final question, um, waking up a sleepwalker is really, really bad. Is that true? I've heard that they can like die of a heart attack if you wake them up. So that's not true, um, as with most of these myths. Um, Sleepwalking is is a bit like um, night terrors or bedwetting is that in that it happens in that deep non-REM sleep. Um, where you, when you are woken from it, you often feel uh, quite um, uh, disturbed, um, disorientated, uh, and and could potentially be a bit aggressive because of your you know you are you're suddenly woken up, you're disorientated, and you're not in your bed. So so that can sometimes. Um, that can sometimes be a problem. And there's no point. There's no point in waking up a sleepwalker because you just need to direct them back to bed and they'll go back to sleep and they won't remember any more of it. Um, but, um, but I can't see any reason why waking them up would be bad for their health unless they had a really dodgy heart anyway. <laughs> and, you know, the shock of it. Um, so you scoop them up gently and put them back in bed. Yeah, so if they're walking, it's just slowly directing them back into their bed. And they'll yeah. go back to sleep. Yeah scary um this has been great i've so enjoyed talking about sleep um and i'm definitely gonna have a look through my fridge and make sure my children are eating sort of any foods that can help uh with 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 their sort of sleep um thank you both so much for for joining me um if you want to hear more about what bahi does or read her brilliant blog check out her website it's ukkidsnutrition.com or you can follow her on Instagram at UK Kids Nutrition. I'll link her on my Instagram, so um, the alternative is just to check out marina.fogel, and then you'll find her details there. Thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. It helps other people find us by boosting us in the podcast charts. But in the meantime, from Bahi, Kiara, and me, thanks for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 